welcome to Brain Chat. I'm Dr. Mitzi Joy Williams, your board-certified neurologist and MS specialist, and my mission is to engage, educate, and empower those affected by MS to become an active part of their healthcare team. Here on Brain Chat, we'll be discussing all things MS, health and wellness, advocacy, and we'll even throw a little bit of music and music therapy in there as well. Thank you so much for joining us and stay tuned for the next episode. Hello, 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 and welcome to Brain Chat. I'm so excited to be back with you guys on another, well, in Atlanta, rainy Monday. Um, But to talk about a topic that I think is really, really exciting, and that's resources for the MS community. Um, So resources, I think, are extremely important. So I'm very excited about this topic because I think a lot of times people are just not aware of what's available to them. And uh, there's this cartoon that I used to watch when I was a kid called G.I. Joe. And one of the things they used to say is knowing is half the battle, right? So you have to be able to know what's available to you for you to be able to access it. And so I think this is going to be a really informative show. Um, I've got two amazing guests that I'm really excited to introduce to you. So I will go ahead and start our introduction. So we have Julie Field, who is the Associate Vice President of Clinical Innovation and Strategy for the National Multiple Sclerosis Society. Um, She is... uh, Uh, In this role, she leads a team to remove barriers and implement solutions to accessing quality MS care, and she oversees the society's professional workforce development and education efforts, health equity initiatives, and ensures people living with MS have information they need to make informed healthcare decisions. And recently, she's helped coordinate the society's COVID-19 advisory group and that develops guidance for people living with MS. We also have Amanda Montag, who is the Chief Mission Officer for the Multiple Sclerosis Association of America. In her role, she oversees all programmatic and educational initiatives, partnerships with stakeholders, and relationships with the MS healthcare professional community. She leads the MSAA's Navigating MS Initiative, which is a global initiative in partnership with over 40 MS leading healthcare professionals and MS nonprofits to help improve shared decision making between patients and their healthcare providers. In addition to her work at MSAA, she's a stakeholder reviewer for the PCORI Institute, the Patient Center Outcomes Research Institute in Washington, D.C., and a member of the AAN's uh, Quality Measure Review Panel. Thank you so much, Julie and Amanda, for joining us. Welcome to Brain Chat. Thank you so much for having us. This is wonderful. Absolutely. So I'm so excited to be here. And we're also grateful for our sponsors, the National MS Society and Genentech. All right. So let's get right into it. So I think this is a really important topic because, as I said, um, many people are just not aware of the resources that are available to them. I can't tell you how many times in clinic I have someone who says, Dr. Mitzi, I just didn't come back because I couldn't get my MRI or I didn't come back because I couldn't get my medication. And I'm like, we could have gotten that for free or we could have gotten you assistance or, you know, I didn't know how to do this. I didn't know how to do that. And there are many people who, you know, are suffering, you know, and having poor outcomes because they just are not aware of the resources that are out there. And they're not really aware of all the things that our advocacy organizations do on, you know, a day-to-day basis to help improve the lives of people with MS. So, First, I'd like for each of you to introduce yourself and just tell me a little bit about how you got into the MS advocacy space. We'll start with Julie and then go to you, Amanda. Great. Well, thanks again. I appreciate the invitation to join you this evening, Dr. Williams. And um, as you said, my name is Julie Feel. I'm the Associate Vice President of Clinical Innovation and Strategy at the National MS Society. Um, I've been working in multiple sclerosis for just about 20 years now, and I got interested um, shortly after graduate school. I got my graduate degree in social work and just found the right job, the right fit for what I was looking to do um, at the National MS Society Maryland chapter at the time. And then I was there for about five years and decided that I wanted to also be a nurse and help people from a clinical, a more clinical perspective, living with multiple sclerosis. So I went back to school 
got a degree in nursing and quickly found myself back working in the MS space. I got a nursing fellowship um, sponsored by the National MS Society, and I worked at an academic MS center for about six years before coming back to the National MS Society, and that was over five years ago. So I might have given too, ma too many uh, years and, and given my age away somewhat there with that description, but um, I'm really excited to be now on the Society's uh, Advocacy and Healthcare Access Team. So I'm part of a group of people who work to remove barriers to accessing care and that uh, example that you gave was all too real for me in both mm -hmm. clinical work, uh, working with patients directly, but also in the healthcare access work that I do for the National MS Society. We're all about changing up the journey, shortening the time between these points on the journey. So mm -hmm. that patient that didn't come back because they didn't get that MRI or they didn't start that medication you prescribed six months ago because they couldn't afford it mm -hmm. um, is all too real. And it's it's what we're we're aiming to change. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you for that. So you were clinical, then went to advocacy and then went back and got another degree. Honey, I applaud you. I said <laughs> after after I finished my last degree, I was like, if I don't have it already, I'm not going to get it. <laughs> but but the, what a passion to go back to school for nursing. And then you have that experience being in the field and working personally with people and then translating that experience into the advocacy space. Um, so I can't wait to hear a little bit more about um, um, all the the cool things that you're doing. All right, Amanda, you know, you and I go way back, my dear. We've worked yes, together on many, many projects. Tell us a little bit about kind of how you got into the MS advocacy space. Sure. It's it's funny listening to Julie. It's not that dissimilar. Um, I went to graduate school a while ago um, and got a master's in education in risk and prevention. And really through that work, was very interested in, in looking at how we could help folks dealing with chronic illness as a family mm -hmm. unit. So not just looking at one person who's who's trying to struggle through the, through the chronic illness by themselves, but how can we support the entire family? Um, and that's really where I, I came into the MS space from and started with MSA back in 2004. So it's been a minute, um, but have really found a home, not just at MSA, but I think within the MS community. And I have to say, I think, you know, this topic is so important, Mitzi, but I also feel on a daily uh, level really so lucky to get to work with in the MS community because perhaps people also don't know that we all really do get along quite well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's not necessarily the case in other disease states. You have a lot of nonprofits here in the MS space who genuinely respect the work that we're doing collectively and individually and work together quite nicely. Um, really hoping to bridge that gap in terms of making sure that folks have the resources they need. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So before we go into kind of specifics about each organization, let's just kind of take a step back and, and talk about what is the role of advocacy organizations, right? So because there can be many different roles that they play. Um, I think particularly for MS, you know, it's a very tight-knit community, so to speak, you know, in terms of the healthcare providers. I mean, it's expanding, but pretty much, you know, many of us know each other. Many of us have done, you know, extensive work with our advocacy organizations. You know, we're all kind of working to make people's lives better. But what is the general role of an advocacy organization, such as the MS Society, such as MSAA, um, kind of in, you know, the broader, you know, patient services space? I see our role really as as trying to first listen, <laughs> so to be the ears of the patient community and really um, make sure that people living with MS are part of the conversations that are happening about what needs to happen for them, which has traditionally been how it's done. Um, and I think that there's a really amazing way in which the advocacy organizations have a responsibility, not just to the community that they're serving, so the MS community, but also to the healthcare professionals and to really help bridge gaps of, of where we know things might not be happening quite as smoothly as we would like to. So when we see the challenges, right, of perhaps the difficulties of access to care for people living in rural areas, how can we bridge what we know to be best practices in terms of treating and managing MS to make sure that there is equity, regardless of where you live in the country, for those mm -hmm. living with MS and their family members to receive the best 
quality of MS care. So I think identifying within the MS community, so, so standing next to the folks who are actually um, experiencing MS, um, identifying what those gaps may be, and then working together to try to solve those problems. Absolutely. All excellent points. What are your thoughts, Julie? Yeah, I think Amanda is right. I think it's about really partnering with the person living with MS or whoever they have supporting them and advocating alongside them, being that partner that helps them be stronger than MS can feel like at times. Um, Advocacy can have so many different meanings and so many different definitions. Um, An advocacy organization can be different than what we mean by advocacy in terms of advocating to get your appointment with your doctor, advocating to get a doctor to take you seriously and to not write off your symptoms as something that's unrelated to possibly MS or advocating for lower prescription drug costs at the Mm. federal level, at a government level. So advocacy has so many different meanings and Um, It's hard to give one definition, but really, as Amanda said, it's partnering with people to understand what the barriers are to them getting the care that they deserve, living the life that they want to live, and how can we help that person feel? I know empowered is an overused word, but it really is Mm -hmm. giving them that um, knowledge and the skills and the confidence to speak up for themselves and to take that on for themselves. Yeah. And so, you know, excellent points. And I think, you know, what I'm hearing here is that there there are layers to this thing. Right. So um, there's advocacy in terms of, you know, ultimately our goal is to make sure people are living their best life with multiple sclerosis. Right. Um, But there are, you know, some initiatives, you know, we always want the person living with the condition at the center, but there's some things, you know, where we'll be partnering specifically, you know, with, you know, patient advocates, you know, et cetera, to do things directly patient facing. Then there also are things that you do with uh, healthcare providers, right, that can, you know, expand access, et cetera. And then also there's partnering amongst the different advocacy organizations, right, and certain initiatives, you know, like global MS initiatives, you know, um, where, you uh, you know, everyone partners together to accomplish some goals. So there are many different spaces, you know, where advocacy, you know, uh, like you said, Julie, is is maybe a little bit more difficult to define as one thing. There are many different uh, facets to it. So let's kind of um, break this down a little bit and let's talk about um, specific things for the MS community. So really my goal with this show is to make sure people are aware of certain resources that are available to them, their care partners, you know, or even healthcare providers, right, who may not be MS specialists or may not be a part of MS specialty centers. So let's talk about um, some of the available resources. And I'd like to kind of break it down, starting with, let's say, research, education, um, you know, and then we can kind of go from there. But let's start with research. So tell us about some of the initiatives involved surrounding research, um, or actually first, Tell us a little bit about each of your organizations. So I'm not going to assume everybody, you know, has memorized the mission of the National MS Society or the MSAA. So tell us a little bit about your organizations and then we'll kind of break it down looking at education. We'll look at direct patient support, those types of things. I'll start off. So the National MS Society, um, our mission is to cure MS while empowering people to live their best lives. Um, we have uh, we are the largest global MS organization in the world, funding research, uh, supporting advocacy, educating people living with MS, providing information and resources. <clears throat> excuse me, twenty four seven at their fingertips, um, connecting people to healthcare professionals, ensuring the healthcare professionals that they are seeking care from are practicing the most up-to-date best practices available. And then advocating as we'll get to, but advocating at all levels so that people have access to the equipment, the medications, anything that they need, the, the healthcare team that they need to live their best lives. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And Amanda? Sure. So MSA's mission is to be a leading resource to the entire MS community, improving lives today through vital services and support. Um, we do a lot of stuff all over the place, which I know we're going to get into more. But MSA was founded in 1970 by a gentleman and his wife who had MS. And they were really looking to create a nonprofit that helped meet the day-to-day -day needs of those living with MS. And so um, I kind of feel like that's still at the core in some essence of what MSA does. And um, to the I think the point, Missy, that you made earlier too, um, the MS Coalition is a really great place for folks to to see all of the the national MS nonprofits or most of the national MS nonprofits, I should say, at this point um, in the United States at least, and and both the National MS Society and the MSA are part of that MS Coalition. And in that space, we all work really closely together on national advocacy campaigns. Um, we also work beautifully together to make sure that. We're not duplicating services so that mm -hmm. there's so many needs that we all kind of have places where we recognize um, might be our heart or our mission or our specialty. Um, but that's another space for folks who might not be aware of more of the MS nonprofits to, to look into the MS Coalition, which really lists most of us. Okay. And there's like a website for the MS Coalition that people can go to? I yes, there is. I will find that up as we're talking. Right, <laughs> I don't right. give the we'll, wrong address. We'll circle yes. back. We'll circle back. Yes. We still got a lot to talk about. Okay. So now let's break this thing down. All right. So I want to start off first with patient facing services, right? Um, because I think again, this is the crux of what many people um are, are not aware of. You know, if there are services that can help them with an MRI or help them with cooling equipment or help them with case management. So let's just kind of do a, a, you know, obviously, I know we don't have five hours. You guys, you know, have amazing organizations. We don't have five hours to talk about every single thing, but kind of top line, give us some of the top things that people access in terms of, you know, patient facing resources with your organizations. Sure. So I'll, I can kick us off. And I have the web address, by the way. It's okay. ms-coalition.org. Um, so that's a good one for folks to check out. For MSA, you know, there are, I think, some standard services that many of us offer. So like a, a resource and referral helpline. I think most of us have that. And we do a wonderful job, in my humble opinion, of referring to each other. For that, so we we all know what we offer, the other nonprofits offer, and so we will mm -hmm. refer out appropriately when folks come in. So hopefully, those helplines we call it our helpline. Um, different folks have different names for what their resource and referral um, sounds is called, but hopefully that could be a starting spot for people who are looking mm -hmm. for resources. If you go mm -hmm. through any of the nonprofits, resource and referral specialists, they should know wh where to direct you if it's not something they offer themselves. Mm -hmm. So um, give us an example, Amanda, like uh, what kind of resources would people, you know, be able to call and ask about? So it, it could be for our helpline, it could really range from someone calling to look for, as Julie mentioned earlier, like a healthcare professional in their area. So we have a database that could help support them find, locate someone um, mm -hmm. in their area. It could also be looking for help with financial assistance for medicines. Um, they've heard about a program we have and they want to get involved in it. Um, mm -hmm. Oftentimes people will call um, just to talk to someone, which is also mm. much encouraged and much needed. Yeah. So there's no limit for the folks who are on our helpline or all social workers. There's no limit for how much time they can spend on the phone with people. Um, and so that doesn't just go for people living with MS, but for care partners, family members mm -hmm. as well. It can really be a place to just call and say, hey, I need, I need an ear. <laughs> mm -hmm. Or it can be, I, I've heard this about perhaps an MS therapy, or I've heard this about MS research. Can you help point me in a direction of finding out more information or looking for a doctor. Um, mm -hmm. And we, we also often get healthcare professionals who call in who are looking for resources for their patients. Mm -hmm. So that's um, probably another group that calls in, calls in often. Um, but outside of that, I would say for MSIA, kind of our core services that we've had for quite some time, the, the MRI Access Fund is, is a really important one. We're the only MS nonprofit that offers financial assistance for folks who need to get an MRI but can't afford it. Mm -hmm. So, um, and those MRIs are expensive. They are ridiculously expensive, mm -hmm. and and the MRI Access Fund allows financial assistance for um, deductibles as well. So, mm -hmm. if someone has health insurance, which thank goodness after Affordable Care Act, more and more people have insurance, and um, we've seen the demographics of 
the population who we serve through the program change a bit because of that, but they might still be very under um, insured. And mm-hmm. so we can help with the deductible. As long as you haven't paid your bill yourself, mm-hmm. um, we can we can pay for you. So the program itself is super valuable and folks are eligible who are up to th- 300% of the federal poverty guidelines um, and are eligible every two years to receive that service. So okay. that's a, a big program that we get a lot of referrals to simply because we're the only ones who offer that kind of financial assistance for MRI, mm-hmm. which is so important in, diag- mm-hmm. in diagnosis, but also in monitoring progression. Absolutely. So people can, you know, and we'll put websites and all that, but if someone needs assistance with MRIs, they can access that every two years. And the key is to get the approval for, you know, assistance before, don't go get the MRI and then try to submit for a refund or reimbursement. <laughs> it's much get- better if you come to us first, but the program yeah. has had this interesting change just in the past year, Mitzi, where if mm-hmm. you have an outstanding bill and you have not paid it yourself, we can jump in and help with that if you qualify oh, wow. for the program. So okay. if folks have a bill that they haven't yet paid for MRI, mm-hmm. we can help with that, which is um, is a change from historically how the program was being done. We just felt, um, you know, it's, it's horrible when folks come to you and you realize, gosh, they just didn't know about the resource and now they've mm-hmm. missed that window. Um, mm-hmm. The But the key is that they haven't paid the bill yet. We need to pay okay. directly to the imaging center, not to the patient. Okay. Awesome. Well, see, I learned something new. Okay. All right. What else you got? Tell us about the uh, cooling equipment program. We have an equipment distribution program that includes cooling equipment. So Mm -hmm. folks can get, again, up to 300% of the federal poverty guidelines can get a free cooling kit with cooling vest and cooling scarf and lots of different equipment items. So it ranges really from, um, you know, wheelchairs to down to grab bars and to easily accessible kitchen items um, we're adding to that list. So mm-hmm. um, that's another piece that folks can really take advantage of in terms of an, a resource that just gets sent to them and it's for them to keep forever uh, brand mm-hmm. new. Mm-hmm. Awesome. 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 Okay. All right. Let's go to you, uh, Julie. <laughs> So a a specific research, um, sorry, you mentioned research, so that's on my brain, but a Mm -hmm. specific resource Mm -hmm. um, that I'd say is uh, similar, but slightly different than what MSA has and what Amanda was just describing um, is for our MS Navigator team, which is very similar to what you were just describing, Amanda. Um, But we all have a team called our Benefits and Employment Team, Mm -hmm. and those are individuals who are specially trained in healthcare benefits and employment rights. And so mm-hmm. we know MS is a very expensive disease to live mm-hmm. with. We know it's even more expensive when someone leaves the workforce. And we know how hard that is for someone to do um, if you take out the financial burden that comes from losing employment. So we have a team dedicated to helping people understand and know their rights, again, coming in with that advocacy how to advocate, how to make a request for a reasonable accommodation mm-hmm. with your employer, um, knowing what you can ask for and when, and when to ask, when to disclose. Um, mm-hmm. These are very private, personal decisions, and it's important to have an expert to work with you to understand your rights, um, but also understanding your health insurance benefits. So understanding if you're going to need the MRI uh, fund from the MSAA. Um, So we have that team, as I mentioned, that is specially skilled in uh, in health insurance benefits. And so we have open enrollment will be here as much as we don't want to admit summer is coming to an end. (laughs) Open enrollment season is upon us. Mm, The joys. But uh, not because it's open enrollment. But I think it's really important for anyone who's listening and for your patients to be aware that we have these specialists that they can schedule appointments with and look at their various health plan options and look at, is my doctor in network? Are the prescriptions that I'm taking on are going to be covered? Not just my disease modifying therapy, but my symptom management medication. Mm-hmm. What about that psychologist that I finally got connected with? Is mm-hmm. that person, am I gonna get any kind of reimbursement or help paying for that. So we know that MS is, is requires a comprehensive care team. It's not just the neurologist. So I think that's something that's really key for people to know is available to them. And like you said, 
This is about knowing what resources are there that they didn't know to ask about or even think that someone mm-hmm. will be able to help with. Yeah, and I mean, that insurance piece is so um, key. You know, I had an experience this year where I have, you know, a chronic sinus issue and I take a, you know, a biologic therapy. Many of the drugs we use for MS are biologic mm-hmm. therapies. And I'm telling you, I had a hard time navigating like mm-hmm. who to call and this one said it's approved and this one said it's not approved. And I mean, you know, patient copay. Is, I mean, it was prior really a nightmare. Listen, it was a nightmare, you know, yeah. and it took me literally like four months to get my medicine. Cause I would just quit. <laughs> I would just be like, I'm just <laughs> tired. I don't have five hours to sit on the phone. You know, of course now my consequence would be my nose is stuffy, not my brain, you know, or spine right. is affected, but I just was like, you know, I'm just, just going to suck it up and then I'm going to try again next month. And hopefully when I call this time, you know, I won't get run around, but it's a lot to navigate. So, you know, that's a really, really important resource that people should be aware of. Um, you know, and then the other issue with disclosing diagnosis, you know, I go through this a lot with patients, you know, when to disclose, what are my rights? How do I come up with reasonable accommodations? You know, what is reasonable? You know, I had someone that asked me for like two weeks off a month and I was like, well, honey, I don't think that's quite reasonable. We can't take like half the month off, you know, but, you know, help navigating, you know, those things are extremely important. And so let's go back and let's talk a little bit more about the patient navigators period, right? Because I I think there's some other really valuable resources, um, you know, or things that people can call about that they may not be aware of with the patient navigator program in general. So I'll, I'll continue then. Yeah. Um, so I, I pretty much anything, Amanda said this, any kind of question that you have, support that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just MS is stressful. It's stressing me out today. And mm-hmm. I need someone to help me think through all of these things that are weighing really heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of our navigators will pick up the phone and say, what's on your mind today? Because we're mm-hmm. really just not how can we help you, but what's on your mind? What do you mm-hmm. want to talk about? Right. What can we, how can we support you? So it's, it's just hearing where the person is that day and then listening behind the words that they're saying. So many times you might see this with your patients. They don't know what to ask. They don't know what the need is or or they haven't even thought the two steps ahead to know to be thinking about the solution. So that question of what's on your mind is like, here's where I am today. And then let's talk you through and maybe we'll get to some solutions that Mm -hmm. we can talk about. Um, I'd say more specifically, it could be anywhere from I'm stressed because I need a reasonable accommodation. My partner has lost their job Mm -hmm. and I'm worried about how we're going to pay our mortgage next month. So it could be something simple, like I shouldn't say simple, but it could be a financial assistance request. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Or it could be something complex about new MS symptoms that the person's experiencing. Mm-hmm. My healthcare professional is not hearing me. Mm-hmm. I'm describing this and they're telling me it's my diabetes. Mm-hmm. I'm describing, you know, feeling irritable. They're not to saying irritable, but mm-hmm. I'm fighting with my partner. I'm fighting mm-hmm. with my child constantly. Mm-hmm. And so it's, we have trained professionals who are kind of listening to those unique nuances that we know are MS specific, but the person calling us may not realize is related to their MS. Yeah. So I think, you know, again, this is extremely important because people need to be aware um, you know, of these different resources. So listen, I've learned something and we we are halfway through the show. <laughs> so I've been learning too, but, you know, I think, you know, um, th- these are all extremely important. I want to get a little bit into um, education, educational resources, right? Because certainly having, you know, financial support is extremely important, um, you know, for MRIs, for other costs, you know, knowing where to go, where to ask for help if you need help with medication, copays, et cetera, is extremely important, but also knowledge is extremely important. So tell us a little bit about some of the 
educational information um, that, you know, these advocacy organizations offer to people living with MS or any unique educational programs that you may have? So I, I think I am, it is safe for me to speak for all of us that the whole world changed in terms of how we do education from before COVID to now. Um, Listen, honey, who are you telling? <laughs> it's, been, it's been crazy. And I think in yeah. some ways it's taught us a lot about mm-hmm. um, different, it's, it's forced us all to get a little innovative and think outside the box, which is a good thing. Um, I will say for MSA, this fall will be the first time that we're going back into some in-person programs. Yes. Yay. So we are excited about that because it is really important. And I think that there is, absolute value in bringing people together in person, Mm -hmm. especially for a community that can be living with an illness that really does make you feel quite isolated. That Mm -hmm. connection of people within the same space, I think makes a lot of, a lot of good sense for, for the spirit. Um, So we're looking forward to that. Uh, We have um, done a number, a ton of webinars uh, over the past few years and really have had a lot of direction given to us by three important bodies, if you will, within MSA. Mm -hmm. So one is our Healthcare Advisory Council. Um, They're a wonderful group of MS healthcare professionals who really help us to see what they're seeing as perhaps an educational need or a gap in education. And then we have two advisory boards, one of which Mitzi is the co-chair of, uh, our (laughs) African-American advisory board and Mm -hmm. our Hispanic Latinx advisory board. And those groups we're super proud of. The African-American advisory board was I think started in 2019 already. Mm-hmm. It was. Mm-hmm. Um, but both of those boards are really, I think, are super cool in the way this stuff should be done because they're comprised of not just the healthcare professionals, but also people living with MS mm-hmm. and care partners. Um, and so that's provided us, I think, with a, a lot of wonderful insight in terms of developing particular educational programs for mm-hmm. communities um, instead of just kind of doing the same program perhaps over and over again, right? There are, mm-hmm. there's value in broad topics, but there's also a lot of value in bringing targeted education to communities who might not have that. So I would say that's been kind of our approach for sure for, for some time now. Mm-hmm. And then outside of the webinars and educational in-person programs, we have a ton of publications. Um, so the, the motivator is our magazine that goes out to everyone. And if you're, if you, you know that you're on the MSA database if you're getting the motivator. So if you're not, that's a good, that's a good thing to call up and make sure you get on. So you'll start getting invites to programs. Um, but we also have the ultimate MS treatment guide, which we launched mm-hmm. uh, last year. Tell us and a little bit more about that. That That's an online resource. Um, I think probably for all three of us, given our, our the time we've spent in the MS space, probably one of the biggest, excite, most exciting pieces has been the explosion of disease-modifying therapies within the MS space, um, it's it, it's amazing. But it also is very confusing for people living with MS in terms of picking a therapy from the beginning or switching therapies. There's so many now that I think that it can be quite overwhelming to try to navigate your way through which one might be the mm-hmm. right one for you at a given time. Mm-hmm. So in the ultimate MS treatment guide, what we tried to do was really boil it down to some information that hopefully will help in that shared decision-making between doctor or prescriber and and person living with MS and their their care partner and their family. Um, It allows you to look at each of the FDA approved disease modifying therapies for MS. You can compare them even so you can see side by side um, up to three of them together. And each of the each of the DMTs has a short video by a leading MS neurologist talking about where in the MS journey they might prescribe this to help folks kind of think about, well, would this be suitable for me? Is this something I should think about? Um, And it also explores really interesting topics around treatment philosophies, right? Mm -hmm. So um, starting with a high escalation therapy off the bat or do we, uh, or high efficacy therapy off the bat, or do we escalate up to help people living with MS understand what prescribers might be thinking about when they're helping guiding them through this um, and really improve shared decision-making on both sides. So it's a that educational tool is something we're super proud of. And I think um, we've gotten a lot of wonderful feedback from people living with MS and from general neurologists as well, who really find the value in having a tool like this that can help them break down the conversations around treatment options. Absolutely. I direct a lot of people there because people, you know, are often looking for um, 
unbiased information. Um, And so it's good, you know, that I can direct them to the Ultimate Treatment Guide. I also direct them to the MS Society's website, you know, for just kind of neutral information that is vetted by MS experts that is, you know, um, you know, valid. Um, and then they can kind of learn some of the details around their medication. So that, that's been extremely helpful. I send lots of people there. All right, Julie, tell us a little bit about, you know, I'm, I'm involved with both organizations. So, you know, I do a lot of work with, you know, both groups. I've participated in the Ultimate Treatment Guide. I've also done things with the Black MS Experience. So tell us a little bit about some of the um, educational initiatives that the MS Society has going on. Like MSAA and everyone else, a lot of our connection and educational events went virtual in 2020, Mm -hmm. and that's working for a lot of people. But uh, I'd say a key component to how we like to deliver information is not just ensuring that it's factually accurate and using our medical advisors to help develop the content that we're using in our educational offerings, but knowing that many people right now like to hear about the lived experience of Mm. others. Mm -hmm. I'm sure your patients are not just asking you what you think and what you know, Mm -hmm. but also asking you how your other patients have done. If I'm choosing this therapy, so tell me how your other patients on this therapy are doing, or why did they choose this? Because Mm -hmm. That's just how we're all wanting to learn these days is through through other people's experiences. So we're really ensuring that we're providing both avenues for people. We want them to find the factual, medical, accurate information on the website, but also to hear the lived experiences of others with MS um, through stories that we have ensured are also accurate. They're telling someone's perspective, but we're not telling them things like, you can cure your MS by eating this food. It's someone sharing good information, but from their perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, And so along those lines, we have many online communities where people can connect when they're newly diagnosed with MS, Mm -hmm. or if they share other similar lived experiences. As you mentioned, in June, we hosted our second Black MS Experience Summit Mm -hmm. this fall. This is hot off the press, October 12th. Registration opens tomorrow for our Hispanic Latinx Summit. It's going to be awesome. Exciting. So we, we offer these opportunities so that people can come together, learn from the medical experts that we try to help look like the patients because that's mm-hmm. very important, mm-hmm. um, but also to learn from each other. And, and in doing so, we want to make sure that this is a movement where everyone feels seen, feels heard. We want them to see people that they can relate to and see themselves. Um, that vision is important uh, for many reasons. Absolutely. All right. And then before we get to kind of the last couple of questions, I want to briefly touch on research. Let's talk about research, right? Because, you know, if we're going to cure MS, it's got to be through research. Um, so tell us a little bit about some of the research initiatives or coalitions or partnerships um, that you guys have going on. Happy to start. So we just launched, gosh, in May, um, a new clinical research study that we are super excited about called MSIN. So it's Multiple Sclerosis Implementation Network. And we are really excited to look at how we can build a learning hub of MS practitioners. So we are intentionally not just inviting the MS center specialists, but we are inviting the community neurologists who are treating MS patients and inviting patients to join us as well. So in real time, we'll be collecting data from patients um, around how their MS is, how they're doing with their MS, what, what, how they're treating their MS. Um, but we will also be creating a space for sites to learn from each other so that mm-hmm. practice can be improved in real time as we're looking at data that would help support hopefully, knock on wood, right, uh, kind of a, a best practices of how MS ought to be treated. I think. Um, you know, there's such variety. And again, going back to the the total excitement of the treatment landscape exploding, um, I would have said, and I think the, the MSA mission team would have said before COVID, if you had blindfolded us and dropped us off in a spot, right, for a patient education program back when we were doing them in person and taking the blindfold off, we could have told you 
probably with high accuracy, whether or not those patients were being treated by a general neurologist or an MS specialist based on the level of disability in the room. Mm. And that kind of heartbreak <laughs> has been something that when, as you see all the options wonderfully improve for folks, but then you see this terrible disparity in terms of what MS looks like in certain communities, there's a real responsibility, I think, for us all to try to figure out how we change that from, from being the reality. And so MSIN is really um, our, our hope here, right, is that that's going to going to hopefully change the way that MS gets treated and managed regardless of where you live or who you're being seen by. Awesome. 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 All right, Julie, tell us, give us high level. Cause you know, we don't, we don't, you know, you, you so much research going on. <laughs> well, I think give the us a 50,000 foot view. Well, the theme is about changing the journey. Amanda just yeah. talked about changing the journey. So mm -hmm. the National MS Society just announced with our, our Pathways to Cures, um, mm -hmm. a $19 million investment in research studies that are going to get us closer to eliminating this disease, finding cures for everyone affected by it. Um, I will, because you said 50,000 foot view, maybe I'll just take, I'll be selfish and tell you about um, one initiative that I am uh, immediately involved in, and it's doing mm -hmm. neurology desert mapping mm. and working with a partner that has access to a database of social drivers of health. And so we're looking at mapping across the United States where there are care deserts or areas mm -hmm. where there is little to no access to care and we need to tier it. So we'll look at MS specialists, we'll look at general neurologists, we'll look at then who's providing care if neither of those exist in that community. Yeah. And then the other layer that we'll add to that are looking at those social drivers of health. So of the people with MS living in those communities, what are the characteristics about them? What can mm. we learn about other risk factors they have exposure to, other comorbid conditions that they're living with, or other health conditions that they are living with. Um, and on top of that, we can learn sort of behavioral approaches. So how do mm -hmm. we intervene in these communities? What's the best way to connect with somebody there? Is it through establishing partnerships with general neurologists that might be in those communities, organizations that support physicians that work in rural health communities? Mm -hmm. Or is it through connecting with community health workers who are in communities who are established uh, people of trust within communities? So trying to reach the patients that we're not reaching currently, people living with MS who aren't connected to someone who is going to get them diagnosed faster, not going to get them on the right therapy for them quickly. Um, and what can we do to intervene and again, uh, help that patient, that person living with MS be their own best advocate? I love it. I love it. And we are coming to the end of our time, but I've got two more questions, two more burning questions um, <laughs> that I want to ask you all. Um, you know, so in talking about underserved communities, you know, um, part of my passion is, you know, increasing um, health equity as well as increasing diversity in clinical research. Um, and one of the things that I see from many of my patient populations, I live in Atlanta, I live in the South. Uh, we have a very large um, African-American um, MS community. And these are some of the communities that I see uh, very much affected by lack of knowledge about resources and availability of resources. So what efforts, you know, and of course we recognize that underserved communities are not just ethnic minority communities. They could be people who live in rural parts. Um, they could be, you know, people who are over the age of 55, right? Um, it could be people who are low socioeconomic status. And the reason I say over the age of 55 is because 55 is not old. Um, but much of our research kind of stops at the age of 55 as if something magically happens and your MS goes away. Um, so there are many underserved communities. What are the efforts to really reach those communities and make them aware of the resources that are that you all have that are available? I think that's a million dollar question, Mitzi. And I think we're all, <laughs> hopefully we're all really working on answering that question in ways that make sense. So um, I think, you know, one of, one of the things, and, and 
it's not because I am quite yet 55, but perhaps because I'm in the older demographic, right? Like the, the rise of some of these new players within the MS advocacy community has been brilliant as far as I'm concerned. And so mm-hmm. looking at folks who are, you know, social using social media to tell their story, to get others mm-hmm. engaged, how can we partner with those folks, right? Um, the, the wonderful work that Victoria Reese is doing with We Are Ill. I mean, Absolutely. how can we work with other groups to get to audiences who might not naturally have found their way to us, right? Um, the way I always think about it is there's so many doors. That it could be very random why someone enters in one door. And that might just be the room they enter in. And they never realize there's a whole house of support out there. Mm. But I think it's our job all of us, right, collectively as part of the MS community to make sure that whatever door someone walks into, that they know there's a whole, there are lots of other rooms and lots of other people, um, lots of other good work being done that can hopefully support them in their MS journey. So I I really do think collaboration, 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 and finding Mm -hmm. out um, really how to make meaningful difference with others who are also doing work in this space, but are doing it differently, right, Mm -hmm. or speaking to different communities. I love it. I love it. Julie, thoughts? Yeah, I, I think that's right. It's it's recognizing that it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. This is not a one-size-fits-all disease. And mm-hmm. so it's multiple solutions, multiple doors, like Amanda said. And it, it really becomes a grassroots effort to some extent because each community and each person needs to be engaged in a different way. Um, I'd say, you know, aside from social media, another example of how the National MS Society is tackling this is trying to connect, finding the healthcare professionals who mm-hmm. are taking care of people living with MS and finding ways to show them our value and how we can help their patients, help them if they connect their patients to us. Mm-hmm. Um, but to reach those under-resourced communities that you just identified it's finding who who the trusted sources are. I mentioned in some communities, we're learning that's the community health workers Mm -hmm. um, to reach people of lower socioeconomic status. We're looking at federally qualified health centers, who's providing care to this vulnerable population and how do we get in and connect with them, share our resources, give a direct access to our MS navigator line to help people. learning the barriers in those areas. Is it is it still access to internet? Is our mm-hmm. website not helping them? Is it not reaching them? Um, do they not have access to high efficacy therapies because of lack of infusion options where they're living? Um, so it's it really is a um, multiple pronged problem that's going to take multiple solutions and mm-hmm. A, a real grassroots effort. And mm-hmm. Amanda mentioned strategic partnerships are key here. And not just talking about some of our typical MS coalition partnerships, like our advocacy organizations working together, but new partnerships, um, looking at uh, National Rural Health Association. How can we work with them to reach these rural communities that don't have access to specialty care, for an example? So it's it's being creative and thinking beyond um, how we've typically tried to solve these problems. I love it. I love it. And last question. We have like two minutes, but last question. Um, what tips would you give, you know, to people in the community to uh, patients to their care partners who are, you know, just trying to figure out where to access the system or where to start. What tips would you give them? Or what advice would you give them? What advice would you give them? I've lost track on who's first, Amanda. Oh, <laughs> no, go for it. Go for it, Julia. Okay. I mean, tips. I always start with a website. If you have access, nationalmssociety.org. Um, it doesn't even, you don't even have to know what your question is. Just come check us out, find ways to connect with other people who have similar lived experiences. Tell your story. Your story might empower and encourage someone else or someone else might feel validated by your experiences. So share your experiences, learn, uh, connect with others. Connect to healthcare professionals who can provide the best care to you. Um, we've been talking a lot about changing that journey, but that's that's where we are. We want to 
change it, we want to shorten it. So we want people to have the information, connections, and resources to get to, through those different important critical decision points, mm -hmm. feeling like they have the ability to participate at every touch point and, and, and in the decisions, like their medical decisions. Amazing. Amanda? Yep, I'll say, uh, so MSA's website is mymsa.org. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, MS Coalition, if you want to see more of the nonprofits in the space, is ms-coalition.org. Um, I guess I agree with everything Julie said. I think that the the one piece I'll add here is, you know, I feel so lucky, as I'm sure we all do. I've, I've learned so much over the years um, from the MS community and from people living with MS. And I'm always astounded um, by how far positive outlook um, can go for folks. And it can be hard. Um, but certainly, I think trying to find some meaning um, in your daily life, trying to connect, like Julie said, I think reaching out if you are feeling isolated, find there are lots of different people who would love to talk to you and also feel like you have something to offer. Um, but that connection is so key. Mm -hmm. and, and that sense of spirit, um, I think also is just something that I, I have seen get people through some some difficult times in their MS mm -hmm. journey, but in a way that is inspirational to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, so much valuable information. I mean, I don't even have time to recap all of it, but um, I want to say thank you, ladies, so much for taking out the time, you know, to share this amazing information, you know, for all of those who are viewing, uh, for those who will view after the fact, you know, for people living with MS and their care partners, you know, just know that there is so much out there um, to help you. You know, whether it is in your daily walk with MS, whether it's education about the disease, whether it is even financial resources, you know, there's so much out there, but we don't know if we don't ask. Um, and so I think it's really important. Um, and I think that, you know, just like we do research for many other aspects of our life, this has been my line, you know, if we want a new hairstylist, if we want a car, you know, we get all the specs, we do all the research, we try to find all the sites and communities to figure out what's the best decision. And I think that, you know, we really want to empower people to know that there are resources available to help you to make the best decisions concerning your treatment, um, concerning other aspects of your life living with MS. And so I am so grateful to you all. Thank you so much, Julie and the National MS Society. Thank you so much, Amanda and the MSAA, you know, for telling us about, you know, the amazing programs you have going on. And I put um, those websites in the chat. Hopefully people will be accessing, accessing those soon. Um, and thank you guys so much. Thank you for all of you who have been watching Brain Chat. Uh, please share, share the uh, program with a friend, with a family member, whoever. Um, you know, we want to make sure this information is going around. So everyone have a wonderful evening and I'll see you again in two weeks. Thanks so much. Thank you. Absolutely. Bye,